Okay, for our younger ones here, I don't know if you can see this. Can you see those letters there? WWJD. Do you know what they stand for? Right, well, it's a pretty common set of initials and there's jewelry out there. There are buttons and pins out there. There are caps out there in the world that have WWJD. And it's kind of a fun little thing because those initials, those letters stand for these words. What would Jesus do? And it's an interesting question, isn't it, for us to be thinking about sometimes when we go about our daily life. Not that Jesus is the kind of, you know, person that we, that we believe in that would make us feel guilty if we didn't do something, but it reminds us that when opportunities arise, maybe we can be a little more like Jesus in the way we respond to those opportunities. So, oh, I don't know, I'll just make up an, a, an idea. If, um, if you were in school, like maybe we will be someday again, you'll be in school with kids, you'll be having your lunch together in the lunchroom, one of your friends forgot their lunch at home and they're hungry and you're sitting there with the beautiful lunch that your mom packed for you, and sitting next to you is your friend who has nothing to eat, what would Jesus do in that situation, maybe? And so that might inspire you to do something that Jesus would do. Maybe you share your sandwich, or you share your bag of chips, or whatever it is that you have in your lunch. And so that's a nice reminder. If somebody does something to you that hurts you, uh, hurts your feelings, makes you feel sad, um, what, do you, what do you do? Well, so maybe the question is, what would Jesus do? And we know several times in the Gospels, Jesus tried to teach his disciples and tried to teach us the importance of forgiving people that have hurt us. And so, as hard as it sometimes is, if we ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And the answer is, well, Jesus would forgive. Then we too are reminded how important it is to forgive someone when they've done us some injustice or when they've hurt us or made us sad. So, that's the lesson for today, is just to remember these letters and try to incorporate them maybe in any way we can in our life. And maybe we realize in the process how loving Jesus was and how many lovely and wonderful things he did for people. And we also remember that Jesus is still very much active in our world today. And sometimes Jesus uses us to be 
the folks that feed other people or forgive other people or heal other people and do all the things that Jesus did. So it's a simple reminder, I hope, but a good one and a timely one. What would Jesus do? Gracious God, help us to remember all the things that Jesus did in his life to be an example for us in the way we live our lives. And help us to remember always what Jesus did for us on the cross and in the resurrection. And help us to be more like Jesus every day. Amen. And now for our older folks. Uh, something to think about from the gospel lesson. How often do you hear someone say, I've got to take care of some things? Or maybe you hear someone say, I'm dealing with a lot of things right now. What are those things? And are they really things? These questions make me think about a monologue that George Carlin once gave in which he ruminated on the concept of odds and ends. He wondered about when you looked at a collection of odds and ends, could you really tell which were the odds and which were the ends? <laughs> the idea of preaching about these things is drawn out of the gospel reading for today in which Jesus was asked this question by the chief priests and the elders. By what authority are you doing these things? The phrase doing these things is repeated twice more. And most interestingly, it is said by Jesus in his response. I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer, then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. And then he concludes this part of the gospel reading when Jesus says to the chief priests and elders, neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. Most scholars and preachers look at this encounter and start to focus on the question of authority. We know from the parables that the parable that follows this encounter with the chief priests and the elders, that Jesus operates with a set of assumptions that is quite different from the assumptions that the rulers of the temple have in regard to the whole purpose of the religious system that was in place at the time. The doing of these things seems to be a major part of the problem. And we can imagine what some of those things were, right? Just in the week before, the few days before Jesus had this encounter with the chief priests and the elders, he had come into the city of Jerusalem with the people greeting him as royalty. The king of the Jews was there. And he had confronted the money changers in the temple. He had cursed a fig tree. And of course, by this time in Jesus' ministry, he was known for all the other things that he had done as well. The healing of people who were sick, 
the rising of people from the dead, the feeding of the multitudes. Most of what Jesus did wasn't done at the temple. But the stories and reports of his ministry have come to be known by those who were in the temple. We're not told what the temple authorities were thinking about when they mentioned these things. But we do know that by the use of this Greek word, poieho, that we have come across one of the most frequently used words in the New Testament. It appears 507 times. The most basic translation is simply to do something or to make something. While those are the most usual translations, it's a verb that can also imply many actions ranging from traveling to making a commitment to practicing a profession. And there in that latter meaning, namely to make a profession, we may be getting a hint about what is troubling the religious authorities. Is Jesus really licensed to do these things? Has Jesus been to the right school? Does he have the appropriate certificates hanging on his office wall? It's clear that Jesus is doing things. Whatever the things are, something isn't right, though. Please notice one very important point. The religious leaders don't question the veracity or the truth or the outcome of these things. They know he's accomplishing a lot. Whatever they have heard has been proven and verified. Jesus is the real thing, and he does real things. We're just not told exactly in this passage what these things are. So it leads me to ask this, are we in the church, specifically those of us who are part of Christ Church Lutheran, are we doing these things? Though you may be confused by the question at first, I think you know precisely what those things are all about. And we need to go back to the root of that word, poieo, and realize that it is also the word used for creation. It is the word used for forming and shaping something. It is the word used to define an action when someone authors something or when someone causes something to happen. It's the word used to talk about accomplishing something. It's the word used when something is produced or provided for. It can be used to talk about making a provision for something or even to care for someone. We are reminded about our agenda, the whole reason why Christchurch Lutheran exists, right? Why are we gathering together as a community of faith? We're not just to be like sponges soaking up all that is holy and taking in all that we need and then we go home. 
we are to be on fire doing something to carry on the work of Jesus in our world. And we need to ask if we are focused enough as a congregation on these things. And when asked what things, hopefully we know how to respond by saying, taking about or being involved in the life-changing, life-turning, life-saving actions of healing and proclamation that allow for miraculous things to happen in the lives of people. We ought to be talking more, I think, in the congregational life about peace and justice action shaped by leaders that help us confront racism and sexism and the root causes of poverty. We should be talking about programs for ministry that engages us and requires our resources. Programs that actually meet the real human needs, the physical, emotional, and spiritual needs of the people in our neighborhoods. We also want to remember that these things have much to do with the odds and ends of ministry. To understand what this means, we need to look back to that scene in the temple and the religious authorities. To be able to stand in the midst of that temple meant that you were undefiled and pure. There were clear rules and laws about who could and could not come inside the temple and be in that courtyard. These rules made sense inside a system that said only those who were holy and pure could draw near to the presence of God, who by definition was also holy and pure. In addition, the presence of God was concentrated in that one place. You came to the temple, that one place, to be in the presence of God. And something rather unsettling had been happening in the ministry of Jesus and was going to continue to happen. The location for the holiness of God was shifting. Jesus told a story about the two children who were asked to work in their father's vineyard. And quite often when scripture uses that illustration of a vineyard, it's really meaning the kingdom of God or the reign of God. But the children were asked to go into their father's vineyard. Only the one who first refused and then changed his mind is held up as a model for us to follow. Jesus uses that example to talk about his ministry with the odds and ends of life. Jesus says, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God before you. Matthew, in telling the story about the crucifixion of Jesus, said that at the very moment that Jesus died, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
those religious authorities had seen Jesus doing holy, God-like things out there. People were seeing and experiencing miracles in their own lives because they met Jesus. Jesus was doing all these things outside the temple. And Matthew concludes that these things are still being done outside the temple in the name of Jesus by those who know him as Lord and Savior. So it's good that we are gathered together today, even if it is Zoom, because we gather together in the name of Jesus as a community of faith. We sing, we pray, we learn, we reflect, we offer our voice to each other in peace, we hear God's word, we're fed by the story of God's table, by the work of Jesus, we are told that the work of the church begins. Not next Sunday when we gather together again, but any time we are out in the world. <clears throat> At the end of the worship service, right, when we're blessed and sent off back into the world, so often we make the sign of the cross, remembering our baptismal covenant, leaving this place and being about the work of Jesus in our daily lives. Our business in the coming week is the same as Jesus. So blessings on you this week when you go out into the world doing these things. Amen. <clears throat>